We're looking at Matthew chapter 5 today, so if you'd like to look there, in a few moments we'll read verses 43 through 48. This is the final week of our Bold Faith True Love Initiative, and uh, we've been going about this the way a martial arts student might go about his training. We started with the easiest lesson first. If If you are a martial arts student, your first day in class probably included instructions on how to stand and how to fall. Well, that's something everyone can do. It's like falling off a log, right? But in suing lessons, you might learn things like joint locks and taekwondo, certain kinds of kicks. And at some point down the road, your instructor might bring out a concrete block and say, now break it in half. Well, today I'm bringing out the concrete block. On the first week of Bull Faith, True Love, we looked at God's love for us, and that's an easy Lesson, it's easy as falling off a log, yet it's the most important thing that you're going to learn. And you'll need to keep reviewing that lesson for as long as you live. And the second week, we looked at our love for God, and we find that more challenging. Even though God is infinitely lovable, he should be easy to love, because he's loving and he's lovable. But the problem we soon learn is not with him, but with us. Last week, we looked at our love for our brothers and sisters, for fellow Christ followers. And that's a little more challenging because we're not always easy to love. And we're not always loving. Our our fellow Christ followers sometimes hurt us. They withdraw their love. We have a history with them, a complicated history. And yet our instructor, Jesus, in nth degree black belt in love orders us to do it and he shows us how to do it over and over again but this is week four time to drag out the concrete block today we reach the lesson that frightens and confuses everyone the lesson of loving our enemies now before we go further I want to assure you that this can be done You can love your enemies. Our instructor did it, and he's ready to help us do it too. This lesson is not optional. You say, well, you know, I want to love God, and I want to accept his love for me. I really like that lesson. And I really want to love my brothers and sisters in Christ, though they drive me crazy half the time. But I don't want to love my enemies. I mean, if that's what it takes to graduate, I'm going to drop out. I don't want to do it. not going to do it. To which our instructor says, if you want me for your instructor, you will do this. This isn't optional. I know that if you don't get this lesson down, you won't retain any of the other lessons. When I say you will be perfect, I'm absolutely serious. I'm not kidding about that. All my students, Jesus says, will be perfect. Now, you understand, I want you to understand, that by refusing to love your enemies, you know whoever it is I'm talking about, by refusing to love your enemies, you're refusing to obey Jesus. He's the master. If you want to be in his school, you're going to have to learn this lesson. Yeah, it may take years. You'll probably be learning it the day you go to your grave. But this class is requisite for completing the course. 
Let me read verses 43 through 48, Matthew 5. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Aren't even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, literally, that's not a command, it's a future tense verb. You will be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, if we're going to get on in this lesson, we're going to have to avoid a couple of rookie mistakes. And the first is the error of thinking of love simply as a feeling. If you're going to have to generate warm, happy feelings towards your enemy, the guy who took your money, your wife, your job, the woman who tears you down in front of your friends, blabs your secrets, gossips behind your back, the drunk driver who hit your child. Remember, Jesus is talking about our enemies. If you feel like you need to generate warm feelings towards that person, you're going to fail before you ever get started. So remember that love is not a feeling, though it's often accompanied by feelings. Rather, it's the act of giving yourself to meet the need of another. That's something you can do whether you feel warm and happy or angry and hurt. You can do this. It is possible. The second error is that of thinking that your enemy is the person that you hate. If that's the case, Jesus would be telling you to love the person you hate, which he may tell you, but it sounds like a contradiction. Your enemy in this context is not the person you hate. Your enemy is the person who hates you. Your enemy is the person who's against you, who thwarts your efforts, who doesn't want you to succeed. I don't know if you can love the person you hate, but you can love the person who hates you. In fact, that's just what Jesus wants you to do. You can have enemies without being an enemy. Look at verse 43. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Love your neighbor, your nigh or the person near you, is a biblical command issued repeatedly in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and quoted frequently in Matthew, three times in Matthew, in Mark, in Luke, in Romans, in Galatians, and in James. One of the most quoted verses of the Old Testament in the New Testament. Love your neighbor is a biblical command, but the second part of the saying, hate your enemy, is not. You can look for it in the Bible, but you're not going to find it. It isn't there. Now, that doesn't mean that people didn't teach it. Hate your enemy, even in religious communities, is not only practiced, it's often a membership requirement, but not among students of Jesus. He teaches a very different technique. Verse 44, but I tell you, love your enemies. No one has to teach us to hate our enemies. That comes naturally. Our families of origin modeled it. The culture around us promotes it. But loving our enemies does not come naturally. It only comes supernaturally. It's not cultural. It's countercultural. It's a trait that's only found in the family of God. Now, I mentioned that love's not primarily a feeling, but rather a giving, a giving of yourself to meet the need of another. 
And that begs the question, how can I give myself for my enemy? My enemy will probably be the last person on earth who asks me to meet his need. So how on earth can I love him? Well, like the master instructor that he is, Jesus tells us. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The word persecute literally means hound you. The people who hound you. Pray for them. Whether or not your enemy ever asks for your help, you can love and help him by praying for him. And when Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies, he doesn't have this kind of prayer in mind. Oh God, our Heavenly Father, who loves the righteous but hates sinners, bring down your wrath upon my enemy. Cause his investments to crash, his hair to fall out, his golf swing to slice, his wife to run off, and his mother to disinherit him. In Jesus' name. (laughs) Amen. That's not the prayer Jesus had in mind. He wants us to give ourselves in prayer. And you may not have had that experience. You can give yourself in prayer to meet the need of your enemy. If he's sick, give yourself in prayer to God for his healing. If he's in danger, pray for his safety. If his marriage is in trouble, pray for reconciliation. But most of all, pray that he will know and love God, grow in his favor, and become like his son. Whatever else he needs, like us, he needs that. And you can pray for that. Jesus taught on this subject more than once. And on another occasion when he was talking on the same subject, he gave other examples of how to love one's enemy. For example, if your enemy says bad things about you, you should say good things about him. That's what it means to bless, the Greek words eulagao, to speak well of those who curse you. What good things can you say about your enemy in conversation? To others and to God. Say them. Bless those who curse you. Jesus tells us to do good to our enemies. The people who wouldn't even think of doing good to us. Hold the elevator for them. Pick up their tab when you see them sitting across the room in the restaurant. If you hear about a job that would be good for your enemy, ask your friend to let her know about it. Don't do this if she's your boss and you're just trying to get her to move on, but otherwise do it. Maybe your enemy is a family member. Sadly, that happens all too often and is in trouble and needs money. Lend it to him. Don't give him the money after this big, long lecture. Instead, give him yourself, your support, And then give him the money if that's the loving thing to do. It may not be, but if it is, do it. Now, it will feel weird to act this way toward the person you've spent your life trying to avoid. But if you're going to succeed in following Jesus' instructions, you're going to have to do it anyway, even though it feels weird. Now, if you're worried that doing good things for your enemy when you really don't feel like it makes you a hypocrite, stop worrying. There are times, there will be lots of them, when you will either be a hypocrite to your feelings or a hypocrite to your confession of Jesus as Lord. If you have to choose between the two, choose to be a hypocrite to your feelings every time. Loving your enemy will not only feel weird, it will feel scary. That's going to take courage. Remember, true love requires bold faith. You're going to have to make a trust transaction with God for this to succeed. 
Loving anyone, but especially an enemy, is an act of faith. This is a spiritual thing to do. That is, it requires the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. The last thing I want you to do, not the last thing, but somewhere down near the bottom of the list, is to go looking for the people who hate you so that you can perform some good deeds jujitsu on them. That's not the way this works. What I want you to do is talk to God about your enemies, each of them. That may take days for some of us to do, but and ask God to do good for them and then offer yourself as a partner, a junior partner, but a partner in the good he does. Tell him that you're willing to encounter them and get involved in their lives. Tell him that you will act lovingly towards them whenever he chooses to place them in your life. Okay, you had somebody in mind for this right now? Keep that person there. And then watch and see what God does. Pray that prayer on Tuesday morning. And on Tuesday evening, while you're at Walmart buying groceries, you'll turn down an aisle and there will be your enemy. I know this because it's happened to me. And I chickened out and turned down a different aisle. (laughs) But don't you do that. Dare to ask God for his gracious help and then tell him that you will love your enemies as he gives you opportunities, which he will do. Your first opportunity, and perhaps your only one, will be to pray for them. And it's essential that you start there. It's impossible, as William Barclay once said, to go on hating another person in the presence of God. You can't do it. So start with prayer and keep praying for that person as time goes by. And watch for opportunities because God will do extraordinary things when we offer ourselves to him in this way. That person that I saw in the aisle at Walmart, now a part of Lockwood Community Church and is loved and cared for by many. What will God do through you if you dare to follow the master's instructions? Let me tell you about a guy named Patrick Green who until this past year was a taxi driver down in San Antonio. He's also an outspoken atheist. Everyone who knew him knew he hated Christians and did whatever he could to do to confound them. One year, he grabbed news headlines by threatening to sue the county if they didn't remove the Christmas manger display at the courthouse. So that's the kind of guy he is. He told a reporter who interviewed him, my wife and I never had a Christian do anything nice for us. But in March, last year, in March, this 63-year-old man discovered that he needed surgery for a detached retina, and he didn't have any money to pay for the surgery, and he had to give up his job driving taxi, and then found himself and his wife in terrible need. Well, when a member of a nearby church heard about what had happened, she told her pastor, and her pastor, this took courage, called him up on the phone and asked what the church could do to help. And Green said, well, if you really want to contribute something, we need groceries. Green wasn't at all sure the church would follow through, and he thought that if they did anything, they might give him $50 or so. But a few days later, the church sent him a check for $400, and more checks followed, and Green was baffled. He said, I thought I was in the twilight zone. These people are acting like what the Bible says a Christian does. Now, 
Patrick Green no longer wants to remove the manger display down at the courthouse. In fact, he said he'd like to add his contribution. He wants to buy a star to put on top of the nativity scene. But then he brusquely added, you people can figure out how to plug it in. (laughs) See, that story's still being written. And who knows what God's going to do next in that man's life. But it does illustrate that remarkable things happen when God's people dare to trust him and move towards their enemies in love. Wouldn't you like to have a story like that? Wouldn't it be exciting to see God work powerfully in your life? Well, you can. Love your enemy. When you love your enemy, you treat him or her the way God treats you. He, this is verse 45, causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And if we want to be children of our Father in heaven, that is, if we want to bear the family resemblance, that's how we're going to act too. Now, you might be thinking, but I don't hate people. I'm not anybody's enemy. Well, that's an evasion. Jesus was not talking about being an enemy to someone else, but about loving someone who's an enemy to you. Now, maybe you think, but I'm nice to people. But look at what Jesus says in verses 46 and 47. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Tax collectors are the worst people you could think of. Aren't they doing that? If you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Are the people that you say you're loving the people who love you? Are the people you're nice to the people who are nice to you? If you're going to bear the family resemblance, you're going to have to be loving to people who don't love you, most who don't know you, and some who don't like you. That's what our Father in heaven does. He causes the sun to rise and sends the sweet rain to fall on both the people who acknowledge him and the people who hate him. Uh, The text actually says, his son, I like that, his son rises on the evil and the good, and he rains or he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. We think of the sun rising and the rain falling as a given, as if it were automatic. But Jesus thought differently. The sun's God's sun. He can make it shine, and if he chooses, he can blow it out like a candle. The rain falls because he sends it, and he grants us these good gifts, not because of what we do, but because of who he is. And that leads me to the enormous benefit attendant upon loving our enemies. Remember what Jesus said in verse 46? If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Aren't even the tax collectors doing that? But there is a reward for us when we love those who do not love us. Now maybe you're thinking, well, I don't don't want to do the right thing because I want to do the right thing because it's the right thing, not because I want a reward. Well, let me tell you, you should want this reward. But isn't that mercenary and self-seeking to want a reward? Not in this case. You know, a man's not mercenary because he wants to marry the woman that he loves. An artist is not mercenary because he wants to paint the beautiful scene that moves him to awe. Now, if a man wants to marry a girl not for love but for her inheritance, that would be mercenary. If he wants to paint the scene not for beauty but to enhance his reputation on the West Coast, that would be mercenary. But when it comes to the reward Jesus is talking about, the truth is that the mercenary man or woman won't seek it. He or she can't even be interested in it. But you and I should be. 
What is this reward that's given to those who love their enemies? This reward that's lawful and right for us to seek with all our hearts? The reward in loving our enemies is this. Transformation into the image of our creator. There is something about the act of loving an enemy that is powerfully transformational. Or rather, that opens the way for God to powerfully transform us. Loving an enemy turns us into the people we long to be, we're made to be, are joyously grateful to be. That's what Jesus meant when he said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be, or that could be translated, that you might become sons of your Father in heaven. In one sense, this passage, and really the entire Sermon on the Mount, is about goodness, about who the good person is, or righteousness is the biblical word. Some people think of goodness in terms of going to church and not using profanity. They think they're good because they don't engage in certain socially unacceptable behaviors, which depending upon the society they keep may range from smoking and drinking, oh, I don't do that, to wearing fur and leaving a large carbon footprint. I don't do that. But Jesus tells us that goodness is something very different. He's been building to this point through this entire section of this great sermon. And the point is this, goodness or righteousness is love. You want to be good? Become the kind of person who loves, who loves God, who loves friends and enemies, loves neighbors and strangers, who loves not because of what people do, but because of what he or she has become and is becoming, a son or daughter of the loving father. That's the goal of all the commands. This is the righteousness that surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees. This is Christ-likeness, the end of discipleship, the beginning of heaven, even on earth. This is the freedom of the children of God and the royal law of God's kingdom. Don't just make it your aim to do right and religious things. Still less to look like you're doing right and religious things. Make it your aim to become the right person, the person who loves God with all his heart, soul, strength, and mind, loves his neighbor as himself, and loves his enemy as his neighbor. Be that person. Let's pray. God, I ask you to do something unusual right now in us. I pray that you will bring to mind someone who is an enemy to us. That you want us to love. Lord, give us grace to say yes to you about this. And then do remarkable things through us. For Jesus' sake. Amen.